Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good, good morning, everyone. How you doing? How you doing here at Ballum? You all right? And at Westside, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and a big welcome to Battersea as well. Uh, we just want to honour all of the teams that serve across our sites uh, over this weekend. We have about 40 people that are needed each Sunday to make this happen. So just thank you. Uh, particularly Westside, we have Peter, who turns up every Saturday morning to set up the chairs. And, uh, and even Ian, Ian and Christine today here at Ballum, they, they've driven all the way up from Brighton to serve uh, today. And just thank you. Just thank you to all. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Yeah. And Peter and all those at Battersea. Uh, this, this coming week, we have a, a team party. So if you're one of our, our teams that serve on the Dream Team, you're so, still so welcome, I think. Or Yes, Sam. Sam has just given me the thumbs up. Do remember to sign up. Uh, check your emails, sign up. But a huge welcome. And again, just a huge privilege as we continue this uh, series on Ephesians. Uh, today I'm going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, what a privilege, what a privilege it is. Uh, you see, we have this tremendous privilege living this side of the cross, don't we? We have this great privilege to live this side of the resurrection. And so as, uh, in a few moments, as we read these verses, uh, this will be one time out of hundreds of times that we might read these texts. And it's just a wonderful thing to be this side of the cross and the resurrection. But there's also a danger. There's a danger to this. There's this downside that we take what, uh, what it says for granted. It becomes familiar to us. We might have read this dozens and dozens of times. And as a result... The shock factor of these verses, the scandal of, this ver- of these verses, it's going to be lost on us because we're this side. As we read what Paul says and what Paul has been presenting in the book of Ephesians so far in chapters 1, 2, and then next week as we look at 3, it's this great narrative of God's master plan for salvation. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, this great meta-narrative, if you like, is... God's master plan of salvation, which is Christ, which is Jesus. And all that the Lord is doing today through the church to advance his kingdom. We have this great flow, this great narrative, this great picture uh, from chapters 1, 2, and 3. But like I said, we are this side of the cross. We're this side of the power of the resurrection. We're this side of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're this side of the completed New Testament canon. And so when we read it, we could say, yeah, that's just a natural outcome. It's a no-brainer. This is what Christ has done. But that's not what the original reader in the first century uh, Ephesus, they would have read this. The original reader, would have, it would have been a slap to their face, almost. It would have been shocking to read what we're about to read. And so hopefully, I want us to appreciate what Paul is saying here a bit 
bit better. Uh, and he's talking about hostility. And I'd like us for this moment just to think about uh, hostility as we would. The hostility that maybe the Islamic extremist or the jihadists will have against you and I as followers of Jesus. Or maybe an extreme atheist. How they look at the church today with utter contempt. Or people that you may have difficult, di different political views of. If I was preaching this preach in America two or three years ago during the election, there would have been this hostility in the church, let alone in the, in the country. Uh, when I used to work in, in prisons, uh, I would come out of prisons and I would, I would say to Viv, Viv's at Battersea today, and I would say to Viv, do you know, I feel really at home in prison. I feel really, really at home in prison. One of my favorite places uh, to be is in prison. Uh, in prison, they have a hierarchy of sin. Criminals, I don't know if you know this, they have this hierarchy of sin where pedophiles, rapists, dodgy prison officers, police officers would have to be put in a separate unit, a vulnerable prison unit, because they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't survive in the main wings with other criminals. They were, uh, criminals would have utter contempt for other criminals. And just think about the kinds of people that you wouldn't want sitting in this church. Just think about that. I want to take these feelings. I want to take your emotions and transplant them now into the first century. It's like a song. I think it's the Catholic Church, isn't it? Sorry, here at Ballam, we've got some hymns flowing through the service as well. But I want, I want you to take that level of animosity uh, and place them first century. And again, these analogies aren't perfect, but in order to get the idea of how shocking these verses are, I want you to transplant these feelings of content, uh, feelings of the, jahi the, the, the extreme um, uh, Islam might think about the West. So now think about Israel at the time. The Jewish people at the time, they would have had towards Hellenistic culture in general. They would have had towards Gentiles. They would have had towards the Roman Empire. And you can't get what Paul is saying without this backdrop of immense, intense hostility uh, that the Jews had towards the Romans and vice versa. So keep these thoughts in mind. And as Paul talks about now, how we are one in Christ. How Paul is talking about how the gospel has overcome the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. So as we read the verses in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, what I'm going to ask you to do is stand with me. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Let, let's stand together across our sites as we read, as we read this verse, these verses, beginning at... <laughs> Chapter 11. Just as Phil said last week, the text looks bigger on my computer <laughs> than it does here. I'm just going to read it, read it to, to you guys. But come with this hostility. Therefore, remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at 
the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to one spirit of the Father, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the, in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it was given to you and me in love. Please sit down. Please sit down. Font 15, that is. I must, I must remind myself more than, more than font 15. I want us to dig in a little bit more to this level of animosity and loathing that was going on at the time. But also, I want, us to, I want to put a mirror up to all of us here, into our own hearts, our own ideologies, our own prejudices, our own theology. Uh, you might, when we're thinking about what was the level of animosity at the time, you might say to me, Steve, how much animosity was there at the time? Thank you, thank you. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> well, I'll tell you how much. Ten years after Jesus died on the cross, was buried, was rose, again, rose, rose again from the dead, and he ascended to the Father in heaven. Ten years, the gospel was not presented to the Gentiles. Did you know that? Ten years. As we read the book of Acts, if we take each chapter of the book of Acts, it's the New Testament uh, scriptures which describe the early church after Jesus died and rose again. Each chapter represents a year, almost. As we read the, uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, we see there that Peter has this vision of a blanket coming down from heaven with all kinds of animals on it. And the Lord says, I give you permission to go and kill and eat. And Peter's offended. I, don't, I can't eat these unclean animals. And three times the Lord has to give Peter that vision. He then, Peter then goes into Cornelius' house and realizes that the gospel, that the Holy Spirit is being poured out to others outside of the Jewish community. It's a shock to him. Ten years. When we think about the early church, we think the way that they demonstrated, the way that they acted, 
10 years after, they still had prejudices towards people of non-Jewish heritage. We read in, in Acts 10 this level of hostility. It's a radical idea to Peter that the gospel is, can be preached to people outside of the Jewish community. Acts 10, he says, Truly I understand now that God shows no partiality. And he, in Cornelius' house, there's a whole group of Gentiles, a whole group of people, and he presents the gospel to them for the first time. He's shocked. He's stunned. He's shocked that they believe it. And then what happens is, is truly amazing. The Holy Spirit descends upon the people in the room. Can you imagine that? He's offended by this. Whenever I pray for a Muslim person and they, they get healed very quickly, I'm almost offended how quick it is that God would heal, uh, heal my Muslim brothers and sisters quickly. And yet I struggle with sickness. My friends struggle with sickness. I have to pray for hours and hours and fast. Whereas I go on the high street, I say to a, a Muslim friend, I say, Jesus can heal your back. And Jesus heals his back. I can feel this level of offense because it's so easy to see Muslims healed in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is descending upon uh, these, these group of Gentiles in Cornelius' house. Peter is shocked. His other Jewish brothers, his other Jewish believers are shocked. They're stunned. They're blown away. You know, we get this impression that, Simon, that Peter is a bit dense, don't we, in the scriptures. But he, he's not stupid. <laughs> At this point, he turns to everyone and he says, this is my paraphrase, he says, we thought you were filthy. This is a level of hostility. We thought you were odious to us. We thought you were beneath us. But the Holy Spirit seems pleased to dwell with you. He says this, but now I realize how true that is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts everyone from every nation, the one that fears him and does right. Peter's saying, welcome to the family here. As I read this, again, with just the, this new lens, I was thinking about them, thinking... You know, they've been regenerated, they've been saved, they've been transformed by Jesus. They've been washed in his blood. And they've still got these cultural blinders on. Ten years later. Then I started thinking about me. And I started thinking about you. And this is where I want to poke a mirror. Many of us in the room, we've been regenerated by Jesus. We've been saved. We've been transformed by him. We follow Jesus as, as hard as we can, and yet we still have cultural blinkers on, don't we? We all do. Prejudices, racism, blink, uh, blinding our eyes that are preventing us from seeing some important truths, just like Peter saw. This moment, I believe, is pivotal for uh, the transformation of our world. It's an important event in human history. I'll tell you how awesome it is. The Bible devotes two chapters in the book of Acts to this. It lets us know that um, in Acts chapter 11, Peter's in trouble with the church. They call him. They said, uh, Peter, you know, the elders and the deacons, 
that he's called into the carpet. He's like, uh, Peter, where, where have you been? Again, my paraphrase. And I've added a bit of tone as well. <laughs> They're like, where have you been? Who, have you, who are you with? What have you been doing? And again, this story in Acts 11, Peter's just recounting the story of what happened. The blanket coming down, going into the Gentiles' house, the Spirit of God being poured out. And it says in, that, in Acts 11, they then became silent. There was this moment of shock. They were shocked. And finally, so, someone says, I guess, I guess all the glory goes to God. I guess all the glory goes to God. What do we know? Even the Gentiles can be saved. Do you get the point? So, to understand this passage, we've got to understand the context of where, what had happened between the Jews and the Gentiles. The level of hostility, the level of immunity. And that's why I'm really optimistic today that the gospel can overcome the divides of today, 21st century London. There are divides today, aren't they? I'm optimistic that the gospel is good news that can break divides. Why? Because God's done it before. All the problems of today, when God's done it once, it means he can do it again. And we just need a fresh outpouring, don't we? As we looked at last week, we need the last couple of weeks, we need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. We need our eyes to be opened again, fresh, to what the Spirit of God is, is saying and doing. We need our eyes to see people how God sees people, not the way our cultural, theological, ideological prejudices see people. No one is too far from the glory of God. Just look at your own life. How far away from God were some of you? Just look at, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Heather. Very. I, I was about as far away from God as possible. And if God's done it for me, and he's done it for you, he can do it for other people as well. But what about the people that we're hostile to? Atheistic activists. One of the largest prisons in the UK is Wandsworth at Westside. If you do a 180-degree turn, and it's a long par five, <laughs> one of the largest prisons in the UK, are those 2,000 men, prison officers, too far away from the glory of God? No, no absolutely not. How about closer to home? What about your family member? that you think is too far away from God that you've stopped praying for them. It's, oh, it's too late for them, so it's not even worth me praying for them. How about, how about that? So we see this hostility as we begin to open up these scriptures. Uh, you and I, we were in this state of hostility towards God, according to this scripture. And verse 12, uh, I don't think there's a sadder verse in all of Scripture than verse 12, Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that 
you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated, strangers. He talks about that time having no hope. It's almost this moment of sadness. It's this void where we're that we are, were without Christ. And then as we look at verse uh, 13, we have this powerful hinge expression that's found throughout scriptures. Uh, these hinge, hinge, excre- hinge expressions, they come in a place of deep darkness. They come in a place of deep silence, that void where there was silence and then Christ came. Moments that changed the history, mic drop moments. Uh, the, then suddenly moments. God says, let there be light, and instantly there's light. When Jesus, he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. Imagine being there at the empty tomb when you thought Jesus was in there in the empty tomb. It's that, those moments. It's a hinge expression. Imagine being Lazarus's family, seeing, thinking Lazarus is dead, and then suddenly Lazarus walks out. A hinge moment. Elijah on, on the Mount of Carmel. He's praying that God would come on f- with fire and burn the altar. He prays and then bang, fire comes. Or Abraham on Mount Mora about to sacrifice his boy before the ram comes around the corner and uh, rescues that moment. Throughout the scriptures we have these hinged moments and here's another one. Verse 13. Remember, you were separated from Christ. Saddest verse in all of Scripture. You and I were separated from Christ. But now, a hinge moment. But now, look at verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, not only is he our redemption, it goes on, he's our peace. And he talks now down, he talks now about breaking the dividing wall of hostility. Let's have the next slide. Slide eight, maybe. I've skipped ahead a little bit for time. We have all been saved by the same blood of Jesus. And verse 15 describes this moment. There is now no hostility because he is our peace. He is our liberty. Look at verse 15. He says in the first part of 15 that by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, he has now overcome all these things. And then verse 15 again, it talks about his, he is our unity. Again, there is no longer two. There is one. In the second part of verse 15, it says uh, that he might create in himself one new man, one new person, instead of the two. Think about this hostility, the Jew and the Gentile. Paul is speaking. He's saying there's no longer separated. There's no longer disunity. He's disarmed. Christ, once and for all, has disarmed the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Thereby, he can reconcile us both back to God through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus literally made a way to kill the hostility between, between people. You see, 
we all enjoy the same salvation. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. There's no other uh, group, club, membership, uh, union that is so diverse in, in people group, age, gender, culture, financial status, marriage state, status, etc., 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 because we are representing what's going to happen in heaven, where there'll be no, there'll be no separation between people group. There'll be no separation between skin color or financial status. We are, as a church, are representing what is possible in the new heaven. Uh, and this is the imagery that Paul is using. Jesus himself has to be our ambassador of peace. Think about you and I again. Here's my mirror again. <laughs> Who's the person that you have the greatest sense of hostility towards? Just think about that for a minute. Or who's the type of person that you have the greatest sense of hostility? Who's the person that you hold a grudge towards? Who's, the some, who's that person that you hold in something against them because in your mind they treated you wrongly? I'm not going to get you all to stand up. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I'm not on that list. <laughs> if I am, you'll see a queue of people afterwards. Uh, there's some spare seats. I imagine there's some spare seats at Battersea and Westside. People that are, have got a spare seat next to you. What if Jesus was to sit down next to you? and softly speak and say, um, I want to make peace with him or her. I want to be reconciled with that person. I want to bring my peace to that person. You see, Paul here, he doesn't say that I came to preach the peace of Jesus Christ. It's not what he says. Paul says that Jesus came to you. Jesus himself came to you and preached peace. And it's Jesus that comes to that person that we hold offense to, that have wronged us. And he says, I want to be reconciled. And he goes over there, I want to be reconciled to this people group. I want to be reconciled to this group that hate my church at the moment. I want, I'm, I'm going to preach peace. And so what's our response? Today, in, as I almost finish, today in 21st century London, I believe Jesus is standing in front of the church in the UK. And he's saying to the church, I want to be reconciled those that are hostile to me at the moment. And church, will you let me? Will you also be the, per, the, the, the church, the body, that is a reconciliation body? I want you, Jesus is saying, I want you to welcome them in. 
I want you to show them my radical hospitality. I've broken the wall that divides us of hostility. Would you demonstrate radical hospitality? Would you de demonstrate radical holiness? And for V61, we have refugees coming in. We have atheists coming in. We have all kinds of people group coming in. The, the person that first gave on our first Sunday, he was holding a, a, a can of Strongbow. And someone said, I love, I love that, that you, anyone is welcome here, welcomed in. And the, the alcoholic that came in and gave first in our offering is a powerful statement of what's possible. But there's lots of people that would never are fearful of coming into our church because of current uh, state of things. Would you be a church, would we be a church that welcomes all? Which Would we? Would you show them this radical holiness of discipleship in following Jesus? And as we do, um, we have a high value of honor here. Now, where there's honor, people flourish. And we recognize that everyone is valuable. And we empower each other to reach our God-given potential. See, often people mistakenly think that honor has something to do with agreement. We need to agree. We don't gather here based on agreement. Our priority is connection and understanding, not necessarily to agree. We don't need to agree to, to create honor. And this is the important thing to grasp as a community, as we seek to show radical, uh, radical hospitality, radical holiness. How do we disagree well with each other? That's the thing to grasp. And choose connection and understanding over agreement. You see, Jesus comes and he preaches peace. And as a result, because of our common redemption, our common peace, you and I have this common access. Look at what verse 18 says. It says, through him, we both have access to the one spirit of the Father. And this imagery here of the Jew and the Gentile almost is like taking, let's join hands together. Let's march to the throne of grace together. Let's come towards God's throne together. We have one spirit united together. Let's worship our God together. And Paul says, Jesus has made all the difference. And as a result, the church models new humanity for the world. Notice what he says about citizenship in, in verse 19. He says, for, for you, our fellow citizens, there's a whole new family now. We are members of, of the household of God. Uh, just at, uh, at Battersea, would Olga and Adora stand up? And at Westside, would Rani and Steve Walters stand up? And here, would Heather and Matt, would you guys stand up? What I want to do is just see that there's a whole new uh, family here. Here, Heather and Matt. I'm not sure they would ever connect socially. Maybe they can talk about plants. <laughs> but this is what the church does. It brings people who would not necessarily connect with socially or have a relationship with. It brings them together. And the same with Olga and Dora and, and Steve and Rani. Do sit down. Do sit down. 
just this symbol, and we could bring people up here. We're united because of the blood of Christ. We're united because we all have this one access to God. And there's this whole new purpose now that we've been given. And as we look now at the rest of Ephesians, this is this whole new purpose we've been given as the mission. The mission is expressed in, in verses 20 through 22. The foundation has been, been built on by the apostles and the prophets. There is this magnificent temple being built. God is at work. And the beauty of the church, our differences, our diversity, is what unifies us. For, for the, and we are the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world as we model unity, as we model peace as we model radical inclusion that's found here in Ephesians 2. So, your response this week, I'd love you to, to look at Ephesians 2 again with this lens of who am I? Who do I have prejudice against? But also, who do you think is so far off from God that you've stopped praying for? And just allow the Prince of Peace to move you in your times of intercession maybe for your family members, maybe for your friends, maybe for your colleagues. Okay, I'm going to invite the bands up from across our sites to come. And as they uh, prepare, uh, like every good church service, would you just, if you're willing and able to, would you stand up together? And we're going to pray. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.